The Interchange is brought to you by STEM. STEM is the global leader in artificial intelligence-driven energy storage services. By combining advanced energy storage solutions with Athena, a world-class AI power analytics platform, STEM enables customers and partners to optimize energy use by automatically switching between battery power, on-site generation, and grid power for both behind-the-meter and in-front-of-the-meter projects. Learn more at STEM.com. We're also brought to you by our very own GTM Creative Strategies. If you've ever heard one of our custom podcasts or heard about our podcast sponsors or even read through GTM and thought, how do I get my company involved? Well, GTM Creative Strategies is here for you. They offer fully customized content programs for your brand. And if you've got a story to tell, we're here to help you tell it. Uh, From concept to execution, We help you develop goals, build impactful campaigns, and help you deliver a compelling message to the energy industry's most engaged audience. See why campaigns from GTM Creative Strategies get results. Visit greentechmedia.com slash creative to learn more. Green Tech Media Podcast. This is The Interchange, conversations on the future of energy from Green Tech Media. I am Stephen Lacey. I'm a contributing editor at GTM. Welcome. Thanks for being here. This week, the summer of storage in America. We may be facing one of the worst economic downturns in history, but we are in the middle of an unprecedented battery storage surge. We're constantly hearing the phrase, world's largest, as new gigawatt-scale deployments are unveiled. Small-scale batteries are being attached to more than a third of residential solar systems for leading installers. New markets like Texas are heating up, and utilities are putting batteries front and center in their 100% clean energy plans. As a result, we're likely to see a 14-fold increase in batteries deployed on the grid in the U.S. over the next five years, according to the analysts at Wood Mackenzie Power and Renewables. Shil Khan is out this week, but with us is the reporter at the front edge of all these developments. It is Julian Spector, a staff writer at Green Tech Media. Hello, Julian. Hey, Stephen. It's great to uh, hear a, a new human voice in my life of isolation out here. Good to be back. In 2016, I actually hired you at Green Tech Media, and we made your beat energy storage. We said, what is Julian going to cover? It's going to be energy storage. Things were definitely happening at that time, but we had to work pretty hard to find stories for a full-time beat. That is certainly not the case anymore, is it? No. Yeah. I was I was actually thinking back to that day when I walked into the office and you said, hey, look at this storage thing. And then it was like, okay, where, where are the stories? Where, where, where is anything worth actually writing about? And these days, I I can't even keep up with it. Like it's each week, sometimes even multiple times a week, there's some totally groundbreaking new development, unprecedented levels of investment, and just the scale of the construction has really taken off this summer in spite of the broader economic recession and and those conditions. Well, let's get into it. So I want to break the conversation up into a few parts. We'll start by talking about some of the mega deployments we're seeing this summer. And then I want to discuss what's happening on the residential side with solar, because all of a sudden, some of the leading solar installers have a bunch of batteries attached to systems. And then we can talk about how batteries are feeding into long-term grid planning. I do want to begin, though, with one piece of news an important piece of news that came out recently that you wrote about. So Arizona Public Service is out with a new report detailing what caused this battery explosion from last spring. 
The storage system is uh, developed by Fluence, and the batteries came from LG Chem. So let's talk about this story and what it means going forward for developers. First, what happened last spring with this fire, and why was it so significant? Yeah, so this was significant because it was the first really big fire event at a battery in the the modern United States storage industry history. There'd been some some incidents earlier when the technology was was newer, but Arizona Public Service had been a real early adopter from the utility side and in investing in in batteries and then Fluence is one of the most veteran, you know, tried and tested uh, providers of of battery systems. And yet there was a fire at at one of their systems outside of Phoenix last April, uh, as in April of 2019. And when the first responders later decided that they they needed to open the door of the enclosure to see what the situation was, take some readings, there was an explosion that was so powerful it actually knocked one of the firefighters back like 73 feet through a chain link fence, just like huge force just blowing blowing back out of the system. So that explosive event had not happened before. It, you know, it sent several firefighters to the hospital and was really this wake-up call of, okay, we, we need to figure out how that happened and make sure it never happens again so that this massive expansion of battery development doesn't injure anyone going forward. Yeah, what was the fallout from that? Was it relatively isolated to that project or was it, did it have other impacts throughout the industry? Well, it led to a, a freeze in Arizona Public Services battery development while they figured it out, which is notable in that that, that was one of the biggest uh, markets for, for grid batteries. And they, they had just a few months earlier announced this uh, 850 megawatt battery expansion and, and really wanted to move to a paradigm where all their large-scale solar plants had a battery attached so that they could use the power for for the evening demand. So that got put on hold. APS shut down the the other battery systems they had operating. And I don't know if we can point to any projects elsewhere in the country necessarily being derailed as a result of it, but it it definitely made the whole industry kind of stand up and and pay attention and... uh, after years of, of sort of saying, oh, safety is important, we, we, we care about safety, it, it forced other providers to really ask some tough questions and, and investigate whether their systems were vulnerable to this kind of thing. So what did this report say? And how does Fluence and APS move forward, given what they found? Yeah, so the, uh, the report essentially found that a... Uh, Fire started in a single cell. They, they think there was some sort of malfunction in one of the cells, and then it spread to the cells. You know, the, all these cells are packed in fairly tightly in this design. And so once that one heated up, heats up the, the next ones, the clean agent fire suppression that was installed was not able to actually prevent that from happening because the uh, just the intensity of the, the lithium ion once it gets going, is is was too much for for that system, so it spread throughout this rack. And then what happens when lithium ion cells heat up like that is they release gases, and those gases can be explosive. And the uh, standard at the time did not include any kind of measurement sensors to detect those gases building up in the enclosure. And there was also no ventilation that would allow it to escape. So 
that was really the problem. And, you know, once the firefighters opened the door and sort of more oxygen came in, there was some mixing, it, it got to these conditions where it did combust. So those are all scary. There's also some things on communication with the firefighters and, you know, that they didn't really have the knowledge going into it to expect this kind of thing could happen. So there's definitely some some work to be done on proactively communicating the risks and uh, protocols to, to firefighters. But the good news as far as safety going forward is concerned is a lot of the major battery companies have already integrated some of these safety findings into their products. Um, so I think there was some concern about would this battery fire, you know, halt storage development? Actually, what we've seen is all the top providers kind of getting out in front of the report and and incorporating better practices into their products already. And the big question is, of course, as you alluded to, will it halt storage development going forward? Um, you know, New York has obviously had a mixed relationship with batteries because in New York City, there is a ban on using lithium-ion batteries. A lot of other local officials who are worried about fires have slowed development or permitting of lithium-ion batteries. Um, It varies across the U.S., but this certainly could potentially slow development if you have enough locality saying, oh, we're not really sure about this. So um, do you feel like the industry is out ahead of this? And is it going to be a big deal? I think they have really gotten out ahead of it. Um, so I've been reaching out to you know Fluence and Powen and so these other providers of the the big utility scale systems. They are incorporating what's called a deflagration uh, panel, which is a device that if there is some kind of buildup of pressure, it channels that out and away from the system in a way that would prevent the kind of explosion that that harmed the the firefighters. They're also including ventilation, detection for the the dangerous gases, and um, even designing the the layout of the battery cells so that the fire can't spread uh, from cell to cell. Um, There are things you can do like liquid cooling or um, putting some physical barriers in there so that they're not all, you know, jammed up together like uh, peas in a pod. The, The other thing is a lot of the battery designs have shifted away from this kind of building enclosure, it, it, the, the Arizona system was essentially a um, like a shipping container that you could walk inside. And newer products from Fluence and, and the Tesla Mega Pack, for instance, are more like cabinets. There's no room to walk in. They're, they're these boxes and you can open up the side and, and deal with them outside. So that alone kind of eliminates that potential for having gases trapped in a space that someone might walk into. Okay, so if we look at the numbers, certainly this has not slowed down development of deployment or announcements of big batteries. And we went through this together and we tallied up a lot of the projects through May, June, and July. And it is just gigawatt hours and gigawatt hours of projects that are coming into fruition or that are planned over the next couple of years. So where do we start here? I mean, I'm counting at least four or five kind of record-breaking deals that you've been cataloging. Yeah, I mean, I'd say to to put this into context, the biggest collaboration of the summer actually isn't Taylor Swift and Bonnie Vare, it's solar and storage. We've just been seeing, 
incredible new uh, new works coming out with these two resources uh, teaming How up. How long and, have you been waiting to tell that joke? Um, you know, I I do things other than pay attention to the storage industry. I have multiple <laughs> interests, but yeah, I think it's. I mean, it's just been a stunning. A series of of deals really starting around May uh, with Southern California Edison doing 770 uh, megawatts um, in you know Southern California and for context that's considerably larger than everything built in the U.S. battery wise the previous year and uh, that was just the beginning then we had uh, Pacific Gas and Electric doing several hundred more megawatts you got Hawaiian Electric doing this massive collection of, of solar and batteries for the, the islands out there. Big, big deals in Nevada, even uh, New Mexico just last week uh, voted to uh, replace the San Juan coal station with solar and, and 300 megawatts of batteries. So I think we've really hit an inflection point here where in the past people talked about the potential for energy storage to, you know, store solar power and make it available at night. And there's kind of that boilerplate around that. But in the past, the actual batteries that were operating were largely these very short duration ones doing uh, frequency regulation, ancillary services. It's kind of important, but, you know, a little boring jobs for the grid. Now we're actually seeing the deals where the batteries are so big and they're paired with solar and they can actually take huge amounts of, of solar power and turn it into this nighttime resource that's uh, directly competing with uh, what would be provided by natural gas. So to put that into um, discharge numbers, the SCE award, uh, the 770 megawatts is a three gigawatt hour battery, series of batteries. Hawaiian Electric is three gigawatt hours. Uh, we're talking about very significant uh, discharges here. So what is the purpose. Are we talking about baseload solar? Is that what people are trying to do? Like, what are these projects designed for? That's a really good question. In the case of California, what happened was the utility regulators were looking at these trends. They're seeing a bunch of older gas plants retiring in the next couple of years. Uh, we have the, the last nuclear plant in uh, California shutting down soon. Uh, and then you have all this new solar getting built. And uh, so the regulators were like, oh, look, we're going to need a bunch more capacity in the next two years. And that that was just last fall. So the California utility deals are directly in response to that. And it's um, essentially saying the uh, go-to sources of capacity for the evening hours that we used to rely on aren't going to be here anymore. And we're committed to this uh, energy transition to a zero carbon grid. So we're going to need something that can dispatch on command to meet our, our evening peaks. And that's what those batteries are doing. Let's focus in on one of these projects. The one that is attractive to me is this deal by Switch, the data center developer in Nevada that is um, developing this 60 megawatt, 240 megawatt hour battery system paired with solar. It's interesting to me because a few years ago, 
Switch was one of the companies that, you know, paid a massive fee to disconnect from Envy Energy saying, we want to procure clean energy on our own. And this is the kind of project presumably they were talking about. So let's talk about the details of the project and then what this allows Switch to do. And and does it mean anything for future plans of a company like Switch or other data center operators? It seems to me because of their decision to go out on their own and then develop such a massive project that... Uh, this is a sign of things to come. Yeah, this uh, this project's really pretty stunning in in what it says about how far clean energy has come. So you're right that Switch opted uh, in 2016 to exit the utility there. And this is available to them as an option due to a, a, an old law in the books in Nevada. MGM, the, the casino company, also chose that route. And both of these companies said, we can get cleaner power than the utility and actually cheaper power than the utility by going out and and finding it on our own. Now in the past that meant contracting for for projects that are elsewhere in the in the area, but this new deal from Switch and it's um, put together by Capital Dynamics is locating this massive massive solar plant and battery plant on the property of of the uh, you know data center, so the concept of behind the meter storage or behind the meter resources is that the customer gets these resources where they are, where they're consuming it. You know, you don't have to worry about transmission and distribution and all that. And in the past, that we thought about that in terms of households or shops or you know maybe a factory here and there. This is switch says this is the biggest data center in the world. And you think about all the the round the clock electricity that's using is going to be largely met by solar and, and battery on site. Now they're not saying that it's necessarily going to be twenty four seven, but they they are referring to it as quasi baseload. That basically you have the solar during the day, and uh, and that's around one hundred thirty megawatts of solar. But then this battery is sized to turn the solar into roughly thirty megawatts of uh, flat. Uh, delivery of power uh, through the night, and we've we've just never seen anything like that. And, and on top of it, they say they're saving lots of money, and it's a hundred percent clean. So go figure. So are you sick of using the words record breaking yet, or first of its kind, or whatever it is you're writing? I, I mean, I, it's it, it, it's a struggle to find new words to convey all these things happening. But yeah, this is certainly the biggest clean energy projects located at a customer facility that we've seen anywhere. You know, the, the previous biggest battery for an industrial site was uh, 10, 10 megawatts. So, you know, six times that in the, in the switch deal. It, another fun fact about that one, the data center is in this industrial park near Reno. And uh, it turns out the Tesla Gigafactory is just down the road. So they're getting batteries from, you know, across the street effectively. Well, coming up, I want to talk about how these big projects are factoring into utility long-term plans. First, a quick word about our supporters of the show. The Interchange is brought to you by STEM. STEM is the world's largest network of energy storage systems with over 790 megawatt hours deployed around the globe in more than 1,000 sites. By combining advanced energy storage solutions with 
Athena, an AI-powered analytics platform, STEM enables customers and partners to optimize energy use by automatically switching between battery power, on-site generation, and grid power for both behind the meter and in front of the meter projects. STEM supports more than 360 customers around the world to benefit from clean, adaptive energy infrastructure and achieve a wide variety of goals, including expense reduction, resilience, sustainability, environmental responsibility, and corporate innovation. STEM also offers full support for solar partners interested in adding storage to standalone community or commercial solar projects for 160 partners to date. To learn more about STEM and specifically their front of the meter solution, join us on their GTM hosted webinar on Tuesday, September 8th. Go to stem.com to sign up. The Interchange is also brought to you by GTM Creative Strategies. You have a story to tell and we're here to help you tell it. GTM Creative Strategies leverages unmatched editorial credibility, top creative minds, and seasoned analysts to drive brand awareness that puts you ahead of your competitors. Our programs range from lead generation that drives sales success, customized content like white papers that educates and keep your audience engaged and informed, and podcasts that tell your story directly to many thousands of listeners. Want to get started working closely with a talented and creative team to build comprehensive marketing programs and customized content, all backed by the highly credible GTM brand? Visit greentechmedia.com slash creative to learn more. So we go from the massive to the micro. I want to turn our attention to the residential market, which is still going very strong and due to a number of concerns, worries, scares about the health of the grid, particularly out in California, uh, solar installations with batteries are booming. Uh, Some of the leading installers like Sonova and Sunrun are seeing around a third of households that are going solar getting a battery. So Julian, give us an overview of the activity going on with some of these leading installers. How important are batteries becoming? They're becoming surprisingly successful at the at the household level as well. The most recent data we have from from Wood McKenzie covers the first quarter of the year and that was another consecutive record of of home battery deployment. There's a lot of question about what Q2 is going to look like given the coronavirus stay-at-home orders and all that, but the coronavirus is also providing sort of a new impetus for for home storage in California because the grid here is not that great when it comes to fire season. Uh, we, we last year had series of whole power shutoffs uh, in the PG&E area to prevent the grid from starting new fires. And if you think about the idea of being in your home, it's 90 degrees, hot out, and you're quarantined, so you can't leave. And now the utility might be shutting off your power. You know, that's that's not a situation anyone wants to be in. So we've seen an uptick in the companies that sell the the storage with, with solar power, saying that people are really asking for it in, in unprecedented levels. Sunrun in particular noted that the Bay Area, San Francisco area, uh, solar companies, uh, customers in April were adding batteries like 60% of the time. So, you know, more people going solar with a battery than than not. Um, and then just recently, Sonova, which is another residential company that, that works through a network of installers around the country, said that they are delivering batteries with 34% of their solar deals nationwide, which is quite a surprise because you know usually the companies frame this as California, which happens to be the, 
the best market for for batteries, but they're seeing this this interest really all around the country. So the thought on residential batteries was that these are an emotional sale. Uh, people are thinking about using them for backup power. There's not much else they can do with the batteries. It sounds like backup power is still primarily the use case for these batteries, but is that changing at all? Um, both for uses and the economics. Is it becoming less of an emotional sell or is it still very much like people are scared they want batteries? It really depends on where you live. If you're in Hawaii, you really need to have the battery if you want to go solar based on the dynamics around the grid there. And then in a lot of parts of California now, the way the economics work out in terms of what you get paid for exporting excess solar is starting to make it a more of an economic decision. But at the end of the day, you can look at what the solar companies are using to, to sell the batteries. And there's a lot more marketing about secure your home, you know, make sure that you're powered up in an outage. And, and I would say less talk on the whole about optimize your time-based electricity rates with batteries. And what about this virtual power plant concept? I mean, gosh, this is another one we've heard so much about, but I'm wondering if anyone has made any progress on outside control of these batteries to make them a grid resource. Has anything new happened on that front? Yes and no. We have some new announcements, which are which oh, are boy. interesting. In, a dime a dozen in this industry, but yeah, yeah. So so okay. So the the big picture concept uh, is you know once we have hundreds or thousands of these batteries in homes, they have capacity, and if you add up enough of those, that could be the equivalent of a, a power plant. So there's a lot of talk about that. We are now moving into more of a testing phase. So. Sunrun announced this project with Southern California Edison, where they're going to sign up around 300 existing customers in, in that utility territory, pay them up front to let Sunrun use their battery in response to signals from the utility. And that'll be a year-long study to see things like, can we manipulate this battery without pissing off the customer? Is a, a few hundred bucks cash up front, enough incentive for them to sign up, things like that. And, and actually Portland General Electric's doing a similar one in the their territory up in, in Oregon and paying customers to let, in that case, the utility directly dispatch it. And since it's the utility, they can do more things than just, you know, discharging. They can they can do things like frequency response and volt var control and distribution grid. Uh, upgrade deferral. So so that's an interesting one to watch. But yeah, at the end of the day, these are still research projects. So the basic questions of do customers actually want to participate? How much money do you need to share with them for them to be interested? And then, you know, what's the actual effectiveness? These companies are still trying to figure that out. And have utilities come around on these batteries, like out of the desire to control them and use them as a resource, like how much are utilities moving in the direction of wanting more distributed residential batteries in their service territories? Yeah. I, one sentiment that I've seen from a few different utilities is this feeling that this is happening. Batteries and solar in the home is a consumer trend that is not going to disappear and so if it's going to be happening in your territory, you might as well understand it and figure out how to make the most of it. And, you know, in, in a few cases where the regulations allow, you, you do see utilities trying to actually be the one doing it. So 
that's why Portland General Electric is kind of an interesting case. And we can also look back to Green Mountain Power in Vermont, which has had a, a functioning virtual power plant for, for a while that's not so much operating on a daily basis, but it's using these batteries in people's homes for tackling the, the peak hours for the system where if you can lower your peak, you can save a lot of money for the utility overall. So that's very valuable, but that's different from trying to use the batteries on a daily basis as just another resource in your in your toolkit. So where do batteries fit into some of the longer term planning from utilities that are announcing these 2030, 2050 clean energy goals? I know you have dug into the battery component of what they're trying to do here, and they seem to be a pretty important piece of both phasing out coal plants and potentially gas plants and getting to this 100% clean energy goal, whatever it means, depending on the utility. So where do batteries generally fit into some of these bigger goals? I'd say they're a crucial part of it that is really only now breaking into the the long-term planning. From a high-level perspective, if we're talking about decarbonizing the electric grid by 2035, which is now the Joe Biden presidential campaign's official platform, that's 15 years away from now. In life of a gas plant, that is a much shorter time than gas plants typically get to to pay back the investment. So if you're a utility right now and you're thinking about, okay, I need power in the night, solar can't do that for me, so maybe I'll get a gas plant. You have to think of that instead of getting a 30-year mortgage on the on the asset, you're, you have to pay it back in 15. And that is going to fundamentally change the economic calculus behind what you choose for, for your capacity. So that's why we're, we're already seeing batteries compete and win against gas plants for this role of the uh, on-demand power. And, you know, it's starting in the sunny places where the solar is especially competitive. A year or two ago, it was really just a California phenomenon driven by policies there. Maybe a Hawaii phenomenon driven by the, the island dynamics and, and their commitment to renewables. But now you're seeing Arizona, Nevada, uh, New Mexico going this route, uh, Colorado, even Midwestern uh, utilities, places like Minnesota, even Texas, which has long been kind of off limits to, to battery developers, is starting to see some action with developers going into the competitive ERCOP market and uh, saying that, you know, they're comfortable investing in batteries to beat out the gas generators in, in supplying key services to the grid. So, yeah, that's that's the new thing. It's like there's this long term planning conversation that's shifting. But even before a lot of utilities have wrapped their heads around where batteries fit into that, you have batteries winning projects today. What these new economic developments seem to be doing is providing ammunition for local groups that are fighting these gas plants. And so you've seen that that around the LA area in California, now in Arizona. Um, before, it, it you know, a lot of these fights revolved around air pollution or around uh, long-term rate hikes. But now these groups can come in and say, well, we actually have this solar and storage option or whatever mix of resources that is a lot cheaper than building this gas plant or keeping this gas plant open. And it feels to me like a major turning point for a lot of these fights around specific gas plants. 
what do you think? H- how much is this pushing the phase out of these plants potentially across the country? You said it is still geographically specific, but it feels to me like it's spreading. It's definitely spreading, and it's definitely a major turning point. In the past, if a utility said, hey, we need this new power plant to keep the lights on, um, you could have local groups push back and say, we don't want that pollution or we don't want the climate impacts. But at the end of the day, if the utility said, we need this to keep the lights on, there just wasn't that much you could do. You know, there's a lot of deference to to that need and no one actually wants the lights to go out. So the new change now with batteries being economically competitive in so many places is there is another option that does not emit any uh, local pollutants, does not emit greenhouse gases, you know, from the battery. You got to look at where the power is coming from, obviously. But that's a that's a huge difference. So if you're fighting a gas plant now, one, you can analyze, is this actually needed? There's certainly plants that get built that are of questionable need. But then the next question to ask is, can we do this job with things that won't pollute our community um, and things that won't contribute to climate change? And that really went down in a big way in the Southern California town of Oxnard a couple years ago. The uh, utility had awarded this gas plant contract to NRG you know, a few years back, really before batteries were this competitive, really market-ready option. But when the uh, local activists started pushing back and saying, we don't want this, it was going to be on the beach, which is an affront to us Californians and our and our love of the coast. And um, th- they were able to force a r- analysis of, are there other options? And that analysis found that, yes, there are. And now there's this whole suite of batteries going in, including one of the, it'll be one of the biggest in the world uh, is getting built there that does the job and doesn't pollute the neighborhood. And especially now with racial injustice, top of mind with all the protests this summer, most of these power plants have a, a disproportionate impact on communities of color and low-income communities. So there's a there's a real justice angle to it too, that if you can start shifting the peak capacity from these plants in burdened neighborhoods to batteries that don't pollute the air, that's good on multiple levels. So this uh, storage business is keeping you busy during COVID then, Julian. I also see that you've been growing a nice COVID beard too. So cheers to that. It's true. And I I actually trimmed it up uh, just for for you. Unfortunately, our listeners can't enjoy that. (laughs) I know you've also been uh, writing another newsletter too called Bright Ideas. What's that all about? Yeah. So that was a a quarantine project uh, where, you know, I was like, I'm I'm stuck at home anyways, might as well do something with my time. And it's an attempt to translate all these really exciting, compelling developments from the the clean energy world into fun and approachable language that my friends and family can can dig into, you know, strip out the jargon and that kind of thing. And it's been it's been a great uh, little project. It's it's brightideas.substack.com. And the the overarching argument is related to what we talked about today that Clean energy is just smashing it in the in the marketplace right now, and I think there's still this lingering perception that it's kind of a sad thing that needs a lot of government help. And you know, in reality, we've been seeing all the all the fracking companies, all the fossil fuel energy companies, really tanking in response to the COVID 
disruptions and all that at the same time that clean energy is just surging and doing better than ever. So I'm just trying to get the word out there and kind of riff on the reporting I'm, I'm doing at Green Tech Media. And it's it's been a lot of fun, actually. Right on. Well, you can get a couple different newsletters then. If you want to read Julian's writing, just go to greentechmedia.com slash newsletters or go to brightideas.substack.com and you can get all kinds of goodies from Julian. Thanks for joining us. This was this was interesting. It sounds like you've got your work cut out for you still. Oh yeah, no, I've got more news to get back to uh, once we once we get off of this. So it, it really doesn't stop. I I could use a vacation. <laughs> Julian Spector is a staff writer at Green Tech Media. Shil Khan is my regular co-host. He's out this week, but he'll be back next week. Ingrid Lobet is our senior editor. Sean Marquand mixed the show. We are a co-production of Postscript Audio and Green Tech Media. You can find us anywhere. You interact with stuff online. You can get the show, all the places that you normally download podcasts. You can give us a rating review at Apple or elsewhere if you want to help us out. And um, you can find us on social media too. So thanks for being here. I'm Stephen Lacey. This is The Interchange, conversations on the future of energy from Green Tech Media.